idea for all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to Knox Mente. Tonight's guest is Jason Quitt. Jason Quitt is a graduate of the Institute of Energy Wellness and a student of Algonquin shamanism. He's been training and working with many teachers, shamans, and traditional healers from around the world. Jason is also the author and teacher of Egyptian Postures of Power and the Yosef Code, Methods of Personal Healing and Practice. As a channeler of universal and dimensional energies of healing, he combines these methods and modalities of energy, medicine, shamanism, and dowsing to assist those in their own personal paths of healing and enlightenment. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, and it's really good to be here with you. Our pleasure. Yeah, it's such an honor. And anyone that knows how I am, I, I have wanted you on the show from the beginning. Everyone that connects us, I'm like, tell Jason I want him on the show. Like, BB, when you were at contact in the I'm getting every back line to you to get you on here. Your story resonated with me so deeply when I first heard it a few years ago that uh, I'm glad to have this connection. And this is an extra special night. I just have to start out with this because Jerry was in the ether. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) I also wanted to say uh, thank you to everyone who reached out to me while I was in the hospital. So many people did. I didn't get back to them because I was, you know, fucked up in the hospital. But, but thank you to everyone who, who sent good vibes and whatnot. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, this was, this was, I went on a Twitter campaign and actually signed into the Knox Mente account, which I never have done. I saw that. I know. And so I just wanted, I also want to personally thank everyone for all the juju, all the prayers, everything that, Came down the pipe. It made a difference clearly, and uh, here we are. Yeah, I'm not We're fucking rocking. dead, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not just Jason and I on the show tonight. Yeah, exactly. And Grimstick. How dare right. you? How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> we were gonna go on. There was no way I was missing Jason Quit on the show. Neither was I. That's why I was like, please rebook him. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are, Jason. Thank you. And I think we should just, let's just roll right into it. Sure. So give us, take us way back to you in this lifetime, uh, to your earliest memories within this lifetime, in this time frame of stuff that kind of built the structure that you now stand in so pop culture relationship with nature all the all the kind of big stuff as far back as you can recall sure um all right so i was um i would say that i was a child who lived in a haunted house i'll just get that right out of the way it was uh i had a lot of paranormal things going on where i grew up as a small child and I also had these memories, uh, I'll say coming into this life, these, these pre-birth memories that were extremely strong. And um, I would tell my mother constantly uh, when I was very young that I had these memories. And uh, you know, even if you spoke to her today, she would tell you that uh, I used to go around and telling her, aren't you happy that I chose you to be my mother? And it was because I had this 
memory of being in a different place before I was born. And the only way I could describe this place was very much a vision of the 80s, because that's the time frame that I was born into. And it reminded me of almost like being in a 1980s uh, airport. And I was there with other children. We were all babies, you would say, crawling down these hallways. And there was what looked like these stewardess, just like an 80 stewardess. And the stewardess says to me, um, would, uh, it's now time for you to choose your parents. And they guided me down this hallway. There was a small little door. And they opened the door. I went through this doorway. And it was almost like going into a movie theater that was empty. So it was a huge room, uh, completely dark. And in front of me, this the only way I could describe it is like a portal would open up. And it was like a portal of light in this dark room, like a movie projector just went on. And it was, it was like I could see my uh, future parents in different times of their lives. It was almost like a viewing screen through this portal. And I would sit there watching uh, different moments of my parents' life. And honestly, I was so overwhelmed with happiness. I was so excited to be uh, born to these people. So that when I finally had um, the knowledge of, of speaking uh, English, when I, I don't know how old I was, but I, the, the first things I would start to say to my mother is, aren't you happy that I chose you to be my, my parents, basically? And they really thought that it was a cute thing that a child would say, but you know, for me, it was coming from that very strong memory. And I tell people about this, like, I don't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday. I don't. I don't remember those details. But for some reason, this memory has been like burnt into my subconscious my entire life. Uh, like it has some type of importance to it. So it started off there. And then as I started to grow up in this house, which had this kind of paranormal activity to it, um, I started to have these past life um, events starting to happen to me. And they were um, extremely frightening because I was also extremely young at this time. Um, I would say the first one that really kind of stuck with me, and I could still remember it to this day, uh, basically, um, it's like you, I started to hear. It, it started off with like audio. It's the best way I could, I could say this. I, I started to hear uh, two people uh, like fighting. That's all I could say. It's just like I, I started to hear two people fighting, and suddenly I was taken into this scene, and I was watching these two men uh, fighting each other, and it was extremely brutal. Um, not the things you see in film. It was way beyond that. It was literally disgusting. They were they were basically fighting to the death, and I was, uh, I don't even know how probably like three, four years old, like this was very young, just when I started to walk. And it scared me so much that I, I snapped out of it and ran, obviously, to the parents' room to try to describe what was happening to me. And I started to have these moments through life where I'd be taking on, taking on these kind of journeys where I'm taken to this scene, and it's usually a very uh, traumatic scene. It's usually end of life. So I would say um, most of my 
past life memories that I have, they're literally like right at the end of that last person's life for some reason. I don't know why. Um, there was also things in my house, as in um, I would hear voices as a child and uh, just very, very strange things. Uh, for example, we had a TV in the basement of our house and my mother would always yell at me, Jason, you left the TV on. Turn that TV off. Go downstairs right now. And I was never downstairs to begin with, so I never turned the TV on. And I could hear it. It was a loud TV. So as I'm running downstairs to turn this off, the TV is, by the time I get to the room, the TV is completely off. It always freaked me out. And I would always hear these kind of uh, voices. It was almost like there was conversations in the house. I could hear conversations in my house. And they were always kind of originating from the basement. And sometimes these conversations were really loud. So I would follow the voices down into the basement. And by the time I get to the basement, there's no more voices. They just kind of disappear. So this is kind of my, my very early childhood. Um, so when I would kind of tell my parents this, that I was having these dreams, you know, they would just say they're nightmares, right? And I thought, okay, this is what a nightmare is. But there was one thing that would happen that has stuck with me always. You know how children want to keep the closet door closed at night? There's something under their bed, there's something in their closet. They have this fear, right? Well, for me, it's like when I went to sleep, my closet door was facing right in front of me, right in front of my bed. And at nighttime, I had to get out of bed and make sure that that door was freaking closed. Like, <laughs> that's the only way I could go to sleep. And in the middle of the night, I'll feel something, I'll feel this energy, and the door of my closet will open by itself. Okay, it's the, you know, how scared are you as a child when that happens? And, you know, when I get the courage to kind of peek my eyes from under the covers to see the door opening from the closet, there would be a figure standing in the door of that closet and it it just looked like a, a humanoid shadow is what it looked like just a standing shadow and there was one night where i was really trying to examine it really good and the only way i could describe it is like uh, a dehydrated person or like a scarecrow the only way i could describe it and this thing whatever it was would um, take me out of my body. I thought I was dreaming. All right. I didn't know anything about out of body travel or astral anything. For me, I just thought it was dreaming, but this thing would kind of wake me up in the dream and take me on these kind of journeys. And, the, you know, they would take me down into the basement and they would show me like a coffin in my basement and they would open the coffin and there would be like this person in there, but they would be wrapped in linen. So I couldn't really see. Um, any details of this person. And in my child's mind, the only thing I could think of was um, this person died here and they're showing me themselves dead. They're trying to tell me that they're dead because there was no communication with this thing. And another really strange thing is that um, 
when I was in these out-of-body states or these dream states with this shadow thing, when I would look out the window from my bedroom, there's a park behind my bedroom. And I, you know, I'd go play there all the time. But when I would look out the window when I was in this state, there was no park. It was like a cornfield. So even in my mind as a child, I was looking out into this field and I was thinking, this is before this house was built. So there's something that was going on in this out-of-body state where there wasn't really this thing called time. It was like you can view things as they were back then. You weren't in the time period that you were now. The linearity of the time is gone. Yes. And then um, as I grew up, um, I I was in one school and then I was taken out at uh, 11 years old to go into into a public school. And I didn't really have any friends. I didn't really know anybody in this new school. And there was one person that we became basically like instant friends. Like I became very uh, uh, connected to this person almost right away. And I had this um, past life memory of me and this person come back to me as an 11-year-old child. And it was so detailed. It was like the most detailed past life experience I've ever had. It's like um, I saw the end of our lives. I saw the reasons why we died. It was like all explained to me. It was, it was so profound. And when I realized that this person, this child, was this other person in this life with me, I was so filled with joy that finally, like, we're back in a life together. <laughs> I remember running up to this person and I, I said, don't you remember who we were? I was trying to get this person to remember us in a past life. And I said, come on, man, I killed you. Don't you remember? <laughs> you know? This is a shadow person? No, no, this, this was, the, um, this was uh, a child that was in school with me that you. we became friends with. And, oh, that's, um, that's cool. And I realized on that day that maybe I saw the world a little different from most people because they kind of looked at me very strange and shocking. And I didn't really, um, I think after that 11 year old moment, all those things went away. It was like all the abilities just kind of shut down and I became the normal child. Right. And, you know, I wanted to be popular. I wanted to have friends. I wanted to go out and I did. Um, probably got away with a lot of stuff growing up too. We, but uh, Do you think that, that shutting that stuff down helped in your social development? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it was almost like shocking in a way that I, I kind of knew in the back of my head that maybe the person wouldn't believe me. Mm. But he actually did believe me over time because uh, you know, we're still best friends till this day. It's absolutely amazing that people that you have strong past lives with, I'm still connected to this person. And in fact, later on in life, when I was uh, 21 years old, me and this person opened up a recording studio together and we started a business together. So we had this very strong uh, connection that I would say goes back many lives. 
um, but nothing happened, literally. No psychic, spiritual dreams, nothing happened from after that moment when I was 11 years old to about 22. And this is when this whole thing started to really um, awaken to me or started happening to me. And because I was at an older age, um, I literally couldn't stop it and I couldn't ignore it. It was right in my face and I couldn't do anything about it. This is remarkable. The two master numbers too, 11 and 22. I'm wondering, I've got to tell you that my best friend was the same, who's just passed a couple months ago. Uh, same story. I ran up, but he recognized me also. So we had this uh, mutual recognition. And on that, so with these past, so back, back where we were, when you're young and these these visions you were shown through dream through what however you were accessing this information do you think it's possible that those were as they say you so the fighting bloody men the uh i mean the others so all the other stories that you were tapping into all the other storylines do you think they were aspects of your lives you had been uh, and so just the witness, third person, you these death scenes, were they you? Well, that's the thing, is that I did not know. I just thought I was viewing something that was terrifying and a nightmare. Mm -hmm. okay? I, I didn't know at all that these were me in a past life. But as I started uh, to have past life rememberings uh, past 22 years old, that's when it really hit me that now I understood that what I was viewing was actually an other me yes. dying. And that was a huge, I'd say, enlightening moment. And um, how do I say this? It's like when you go through those scenes, it is you. Like you feel every emotion that that person feels. You feel exactly what's going on in that person's mind. It's almost like you're shadowing that person's consciousness and it's so real and so vivid and it affects you i think this is the biggest thing it affects you so it's like the moment i wake up from these past life rememberings i'm a different person i can't go back to the way i was because it was it's almost like you go through a trauma again and you can't it's not like a dream where it just you forget it and the next moment these visions basically haunt you for the rest of your life yeah i i also have another question about the closet do you think and now from where you are now jason do you think that was serving as a portal yes yes and in fact ancient mysticism um, they always talk about uh to create a doorway just a doorway in general is a portal to another world and that um I completely agree that for that being uh, to come visit me, and I, I, you know, it's a shadow. It doesn't look good. I think it's another aspect of myself. I was That's just going to ask really you think. that question. I real, I do not think that that was some spirit entity of another person haunting me at all. Um, I think that that was literally an aspect of my uh, soul 
spirit what, guide spirit whatever it was and the interesting thing about these guides you know a lot of people could call them shadows or whatever but they do not speak i've never had these things speak to me ever what they do is they show is they take you and they show and i'll just say um if you've ever watched peter pan you know the story with Peter Pan where his shadow, shadow is running around and he can't catch his shadow mm -hmm. and his shadow takes him to Neverland? <laughs> it's like that's the same kind of archetype. There's no parks in, in Neverland. Yeah. In the backyard, rather. Never mind. Sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I came face to face with the same, or is what I believe is the same type of shadow thing again when I was uh, 22 years old. And uh, yeah. So th that same one, which is an aspect of yourself, I can't get this image out of my head, by the way, that, that you travel moving through the ether and accessing what, you know, we call timelines and all this, uh, that this is you traveling. And, and possibly, you know, when you encounter yourself, which is, you know, where they say this is kind of a paradox, in a way but this is this is a form of recognition of you viewing yourself and it, it it displays in this way and so at 22 what brings you so i do want to step back and and get back to younger you but i'm i'm going to jump around here so at 22 what brings you back online and in in particular with the shadow you that's traveling was that part of the process yes yes it seems like um the awakening process uh you know we we call it an awakening process i don't know what kind of process it actually is <laughs> because you know you're the same person you just have these other type of experiences in your life why um, can't it just be evolutionary yeah it's um growth whatever you want to call it yeah i think it it completely changed me as a person um but i i know you guys uh, see me on twitter that's twitter is literally my real personality <laughs> just and you you are funny <laughs> this oh, thank is for you. sure anyone that follows you on twitter knows this and i'm thank sure you. all the people in life well um so i would say that these experiences um it doesn't change your personality. It, it doesn't even change your identity, really. Um, what it does is it makes you kind of see the world in a different way. I think that's the best description of it. But uh, when I was 22, um, and you know, I, I tell these stories all the time, it's, um, it started with sleep paralysis. That's how it started up again. And with me, it was like extreme sleep paralysis, which is like, it happened almost every night. There was like a time in my life in when I was 22 years old, where I would go to sleep and I would wake up frozen and I'd be screaming in my mind to wake up and I just couldn't. Um, I got so used to these situations because they were happening so frequently. It's like, I can feel 
before I would enter these states. And then I started to feel that there was like a being or some type of energy that would walk into my bedroom. And as this energy walked into my bedroom, I could feel my body like shutting down into sleep paralysis mode. And you have to remember, um, okay, I grew up in a Jewish household, but it was non-religious. We didn't study anything. We don't really know anything. So I really had no kind of spiritual or religious background whatsoever. So when this happened to me, your mind goes to what the media tells you it is, right? So I automatically thought that this was uh, alien abduction or it was um, a demon possession. That's the only two options I thought this was, th this was, right? So I was very, very fearful. And when you are fearful, you become religious very, very quickly. So yes. I was basically praying to every deity I could possibly think of <laughs> to help me get out of this situation, right? Um, but one night, I just couldn't take it. And it's literally, it's like you get to a breaking point where it's like, this is too much. I got to stop this from happening to me. So, um, oh, and I'll just back up a little. There was something very strange about being in this sleep paralysis state because the body literally becomes your sarcophagus. All right. Yes. It's yes. a shell. It's a shell. And in this state, you have this other body inside of you that you could move. This is the biggest mind blowing thing that I, that it's like, how am I? It's like, I'm, I'm moving inside my own body. It didn't make any sense to me. Um, so I'm, I'm moving in my body and I'm shaking myself, trying to wake up. Like I'm pounding on the, the top of a coffin basically. And I got so fed up that I, I shook my body so hard within myself that I popped myself out. And it was exactly what people describe as a near-death experience. And I found myself above my bed. I could see myself in the bed. And I, I was laying flat on my back. And the, the scariest thing of all was my eyes were wide opened. Right? And you know, a lot of people say, well, are you hallucinating? Is this a dream? Is it a nightmare? You don't know how sober you become. It's like you get smacked with reality. Like this is not a dream. I'm dead. I'm above my body. This is like hyper-realistic. It's hyper-realistic. And what shocked me the most was that there was a being standing at the foot of my bed. And this is the being I could feel walking into the room. And it looked like a gigantic shadow person, exactly like what we would describe as the Grim Reaper. It didn't have that thing in his hands, whatever you call that thing. Scythe. Scythe, yeah. Scythe. 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 They, they, he never had that. It was just, it looked like a very big shadow that had form and mass but you couldn't see any details. And in that moment, it was almost like a confirmation that I had just killed myself. <laughs> so that's how real it was. It was like, 
I had to deal with the fact that I'm dead now. And there's my body and there's the reaper to take me away. And it just shocked me so much that I got sucked back in my body and I woke up in bed. Obviously, my heart is pounding out of my chest. I'm sweating like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, that is not a dream. Um, (laughs) So so what do you think that that state is that you were in where you're looking back at your body? I mean... from my perspective now, I believe that is what people have referred to as the astral state. Okay. So there's nothing, there's no astral plane beyond that as far as you're concerned. You were there on that plane. This is, this is the weird thing because obviously I read like the different uh, material, like new age material and metaphysical material. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that talk about, you know, fourth and fifth and sixth dimension. Yeah. None of that is what I experienced. None of that is what I experienced. (laughs) Um, Because for me, it was like, once you're in that astral state, and I don't know what else to call it. It could be something completely different. But for me to describe it, I'll call it the astral state. Once you're in that state, it's it's like a jumping off point. You can go to different timelines you can go to different dimensions there's portals you get pulled through different portals to different places um it's like a a space between yeah it's like a space between it's almost like a dream world yeah but it has different laws and time works differently there yeah i would say that it's like it um it completely cuts time out unless you jump into some other timeline Mm -hmm. So Which just, just tells me that time is an illusion. Oh, yeah. To us and, here, yeah. Um, the way that I could think of time, and I trust me, I've been thinking about this for so many freaking years, and it doesn't even make sense to me yet, but it's almost like time is uh, a record. I mean, like an LP musical record with these like little lines on it. And it's in like your, your consciousness is that needle running across that, that line. And sometimes that line can skip and you can jump to different timelines. And I'm always trying to figure out, and this is just me being curious, is as we, if we, if we do incarnate here and live lives and make choices, do we change the timeline and it makes ripples out throughout all these timelines? Um, and can we, from this out-of-body state or this other dimensional state, look down at all these timelines to see how all time evolves itself? Sorry, I, it's Christmas, and I've been deep no, thinking. It's cool. No, that's, <laughs> that's... it's an interesting concept. There's a, I, I don't recall the name of it, but there's a Hindu idea that you can get to a state where you can view your entire timeline. It's like the snake body. You're, you're a snake. If you look at yourself plotted across all of time, it's like a giant snake. Wow. And in ancient times, the snake was actually the symbol of knowledge. Yes. Yes. So I put all the Naga stuff in the Hindu religion. I've always thought of time as a tape. In fact, I put that in my video, Shades of uh, Samhain passing by as in bye-bye. It always made sense to me since I came in aware 
that it was a tape and we could access, uh, just like you said, you could move, you could move. I like the idea of it as a record. I hadn't actually, and it's funny because they're so similar, (laughs) but, but yet there is kind of a different context. I want to, I want to just get a little bit in the background, some of the foundation again, before we spring forward, if that's all right. Of course. So pre-11, pre-yourself-11, before the, uh, the shutting down of your psychic senses, so to speak, uh, which were there, but just ignoring them. Uh, what were the things that were, that you liked to watch on TV, say, and do in mundane, in your mundane life? I, um, I loved comedy. I, I grew up on uh, Kids in the Hall in Living Color, uh, S- old SNL. Crushing your head. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm also Canadian too, so I understood Kids in the Hall. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite was Hecubus, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> Evil. So I grew up watching that. Obviously, I, I grew up also watching Star Trek, uh, The Next Generation, and uh, X-Files. I mean, that's like the most popular shows of the time when I grew up. So I was like aware of all these kind of um, ideas in the media as well. And I was really sucked into it because, I mean, I think I really got into sci-fi too. Um, I think I've seen every Stargate episodes. And I think this is why I'm very cynical of all the new stuff coming out from whistleblowers because I'm yes. like, that was yep. in Stargate like 20 years ago, buddy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I grew up watching all those things. Um, and also I had this very deep love for music. Um, so much so I was obsessed. I was obsessed with guitars. Still kind of a little obsessed with guitars. I see them in the background. Yeah. <laughs> I and, should say too uh, that your light came on a few times. Your outdoor I, light. Oh, that's just yeah. I'm in the in the the bunker or the basement, so oh, okay, my okay. wife is probably okay, okay. checking in. I was checking but, um, to make sure it wasn't a shadow person. No, no. Uh, but I'll tell you a really awesome story from my childhood. Um, I always wanted an electric guitar always wanted an electric guitar and you know when i've had a vision of what the coolest electric guitar was as a child it was always a fender stratocaster with the uh uh, the sunburst the mahogany wood that that for me that's what a, a guitar is growing up and i would always beg my parents for a guitar and obviously they would not want the the noise in their house and they just said no flat out right and I was in a music store with my father, and he says, oh, they're having a raffle. Why don't you just put your name in the, the, the box? And, you know, he wasn't expecting anything from that. But, like, a couple months later, the music store called me up, and I won that guitar. I got a Fender Stratocaster, exactly the one that I wanted. And that made my parents very upset, obviously. Ooh, manifestation, Jason. That's good. Yeah. So that so for me, music was always a big a part of my life. I grew up making music. I was 
uh, one of the, f I was programming music on DOS. I don't know if you remember DOS. Of course. <laughs> but I, I had impulse tracker on DOS with samples. I was like 10, 11 years old, like producing music for my friends. And I, growing up, I was in a band. So uh, many people don't know this about me, but from the beginning of the high school to the end of high school, I was in um, a heavy metal band. I was a guitarist for a heavy metal band. We played almost every venue in Toronto more than once. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Did your lead singer have a pet mouse named Jet? No, but a lot of them did. You're almost paralleling my <laughs> life right now. <laughs> and then I got into uh, programming and engineering of music uh, with synth synthesizers and sequencers and computers and things. And um, then I got, I, I switched bands from a heavy metal band to a band that was very similar to Depeche Mode. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So then I, I played with synth them. Synthwave. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in a synth pop, synthwave band. And, uh, I was 16 years old and my, the, the people in my band were 24. So I wasn't allowed to go to the clubs to play because I was only 16 years old. But um, the lead singer of the band kind of looked like me a little and he gave me his old ID. So when I was 16 years old, I pretended I was 24 years old so I could play all the clubs in Toronto. So by the time my friends caught up to me, and they could finally go to clubs when they were 21. I was like, why would you want to go to a club? That's so terrible. <laughs> like I've already been to hundreds by that time. So I, I got that out of my system at a very early age. That's great. Yeah, I had, I had the fake ID going early too. That, see, this is the stuff why I like the background stuff, stuff that people that listen to possibly, you know, all the woo-woo, this is stuff that's important in your, in your bio that uh, allows us to connect into you as a person. So that's fantastic. And I'll live Synthwave. I'm like, so I'm having a revival Synthwave I, right I'm now. Still, I'm still making it. I have, a, yeah, I know most people can't see me, but I'm in the studio right now. And in front of me is a bunch of synthesizers and drum machines and Sequencers. Oh, that, I'm living for that. That's the kind of music I put out. It, it's yeah, that's I'm loving it. And there's what's so great is there's actually a real revival happening right now. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, I, there's some days where you know, I don't have work, and I will just sit here all day and and just play anything I want, and it's it's fantastic. So I have a question regarding regarding artistic stuff and of course music falls under this music's one of the easiest things i think to get in the groove when you're in the groove of say when the muse steps in how does that work for you with the you that everyone knows is there some do you get downloads or how are you tapped into something that's not you and that's moving through you it's a great question and the best way to answer it is also through music if I sit down and say, I'm going to make a song, nothing will come out. And if it does come out, it's garbage. So what I do is I just completely zone out um, is the best way to describe it. Maybe put yourself in a meditative state, you just completely zone out. And I would say that it's all about feeling and emotion. 
So at first I'll get on uh, the synthesizers. I'm kind of a, a nerd for um, analog synthesizers and I have one of my favorite synths of all times. Uh, actually on both my sides, I have the, uh, the Moog Voyager. Yes. Which I love. Yes. I've and always then on the right side, I have um, a Dave Smith and Oberheim OB6. Oh, dude. So I have a polyphonic. <laughs> um, I also, actually, it's funny because the Moog, um, I actually became friends with the person who engineered the Voyager synthesizer. He was the head engineer at Moog Music and worked side by side with Bob Moog. And so I became, you know, another one of these amazing synchronicities in life. I became close friends with that guy before I even owned a Moog. And I kept saying, like, man, I'm poor. I wish one day I wish I could afford the instrument that you built. And I finally got that done. And it, it took 37 years of my life to do it. And now they cost a fortune. Yeah, they, they don't make it anymore. Wow. So. Yeah. Yeah, and they're really sought after. Yeah. Um, oh, but to get back to the whole Muse thing is that what I'll do is I'll get on one of these synthesizers and I'll kind of fine tune a sound. And like once I hit that sound where it's like, okay, this is a really good sound, suddenly the sound takes me on how it wants to kind of represent itself. If that makes sense. It's almost like... I go with whatever that sound takes me to. And that's how I kind of channel that information through music. Yeah, I 100% get that, but I'm in the music flow as well. And it is not me. It comes through. And you, if you just let go to it, it takes you, you can just, you can transcend. There's a transcendence that happens. And then at the end of it, you have something that is really quite magical. Yeah. And um, like I said, with guitars, um, I would like uh, sit in bed uh, with a guitar and I'm not thinking of anything. I'm just kind of playing whatever I'm playing, not even thinking about it. And that's when you'll come up with the most amazing things. You're like, wow, that actually sounds good. And then you'll start working on that. In your journeys. So this is I'm following this thread right now. So in your journeys out of body and moving through timelines and all this, is there a musical element that's going on? Never. Never. The only musical thing that's ever happened to me in a dream or in these outer body experiences, um, it's, it's a very strange story because I was, I'm with someone that people would refer to as Toth. So I'm being uh, guided by this being named Toth. And he didn't, for me, That's he me. didn't look, he didn't look like um, any type of God. Uh, to me, he kind of looked like uh, an old monk and he was bald and he was short. And for me, that is Toth, you know? Um, but um, so one day he, uh, in some type of journey, he took me to this kind of, um, it was almost like this store that had these uh, scrolls. And it was on the bottom shelf and he picked up this thing. It was like this metal scroll. Um, or I thought it was a scroll. It wasn't a scroll. 
it was this metal cylinder and we walked outside and he told me to open it and i opened this thing and this sound came out of it and the sound was like it sounded like a million people singing at once or toning at once it was like a million people toning at once and that sound was so powerful that it like i felt it through every cell of my body and it actually sh uh, shook me back awake so i woke up in my bed still kind of like dealing with that sound and it was it was extremely emotional like i couldn't stop crying uh, after i heard that sound but the only way i could describe it is it was like a, a million or a thousand i don't know how many it was just a lot of voices toning in different frequencies and it was a that was the only musical element of my journeys that I've experienced. That, that sounds incredible. It, so, okay. So with music, but in your journey, okay. So now on this thread in the journeys, and this includes the, the holistic idea of journeying. So the out of body, but also mundane dreaming and, you know, the full picture sound in general so not necessarily music but just sound how does that play for you well in my belief um music itself um does something to you uh for me i believe that music is one of the keys of awakening uh one of the keys of uh, spiritual experience and journeying, um, I think to be musical or to enjoy music or to sing or to dance, uh, it does something with the brain. It, it, it kind of opens these channels up that might not be opened in other ways. It's almost a key, musical key that unlocks a certain state of consciousness. I totally understand that. Because there's, yeah. there's something when you play in a, uh, live music with a band there's there's a change that you go through, as you probably well know it's just and, it's, it's an amazing thing yeah sorry and no and uh, if you've ever played live before um you know it's like right before you get on stage like you're shaking in your boots you're so nervous and then when you get up there and you start playing that first song it's like you get hit with this energy mm. and it's better than any drug there is totally and you do not want to get off that stage, even when you play that last last song. You want to stay up there. Like full body goosebumps. Yeah, it's it's an amazing experience. So you get addicted to it. You get addicted to that feeling. Yeah, it's definitely a high, the best kind. <laughs> so so say like back in the, so when you're when you're speaking or hearing audibles like uh, speech or ambient stuff for example vehicles uh just wind moving through a dreamscape wind moving through the astral uh ethers is there anything that is there anything different about that in those states as opposed to how you experience this sensation this sense here uh yes and s sound 
and I, I think it's listening. The word is listening. Listening is extremely important and a very powerful med meditative tool is listening, the act of listening. So for example, um, I would go outside at night. This is like in my early 20s when I just started kind of meditating and getting into all this. I'd go outside, close my eyes, and I would just listen. So that was my meditation is listening. And I found that your ears are like, you could tune into things and you could tune out of things. And if by listening to sounds like the rain falling or the wind blowing through leaves of trees or a bird in the distance or just something, you could focus your listening to just that one thing and it's almost like an out-of-body experience. You expand that, you expand your world out of body to really connect through sound of the nature around you. And you get very good at this, or you can get very good at this. Um, it's like I was listening to, let's say, uh, rain drops. It was raining out. And you tune in to that almost like one drop of rain falling in front of you. And if you hold that moment through sound, it's almost like you can slow that motion of that raindrop coming down from the sky. I, it's an amazing thing. Uh, but it's, it's, it's through practicing of listening and expanding through just the sense of sound. You just brought up a um, memory of an old song, which I put in chat. Of uh, it's an old Talking Head song called "Listening Wind." No, oh, because there's about wind, and you said listening. I'm like, oh, have you ever heard that song? I haven't. I it's, have. It's I'm gonna have to check it out later. Uh, Peter Gabriel did a cover of it. Not, yeah, it's an interesting song. Very nice, very nice. So I, I believe that sound does play a, a part in opening different senses up. Um, absolutely. And um, sound could also be triggers for memories, uh, just like smell. You know, our, uh, you know, one of our greatest senses is smell. And uh, if you want to go back to past traumas to heal, or if you want to remember certain things, uh, smell will almost instantly take you right back to that memory. Yeah, I, I've always found uh, scent and smell to be the most powerful for taking me back to a certain endpoint in time, time, space, whatever. And the, an interesting thing is um, I've had a lot of encounters with, um, I'll call them my ancestors, which is uh, my grandparents who have passed on. And periodically through my life, they'll come and visit me or just come to give me a hug. Like literally that's the interaction is they'll just come at night and, and they'll hug you, which is, it's very, it's always very emotional and also very happy that they're there to see you. And what makes it so real is the smell. It's like um, a particular cologne or a particular perfume that these individuals would wear that I have a memory of as a child. And 
even when I wake up from those experiences, you can't get that smell out of the room. It's like overpowering. So you know that there is some type of activity, some type of um, to show you that that experience was actually real. Yeah, absolutely. In the so, walk us through how you experienced the different layers of lucidity. So say because this is surely one, and then dreaming, and then as we move through uh, the differences between mundane dreaming and say lucid and out of body how do they differ and also what may be the same things that you've noticed through all these states of consciousness well i would just say that they're all part of this exact same thing they're just uh it's almost like fine tuning in between the experiences uh, which is still just one thing but uh, the out-of-body experience in particular is very interesting because it seems like it's an in-between state. It's right in the middle of being completely awake and, it, and going to sleep. So it's like you're in bed, and as you're falling asleep, um, if you have that sense to you, it's like you can feel your body shutting down to enter into sleep mode but your mind remains active in you so you're experiencing your body falling asleep and there's a point where your body shuts off completely and this is what we call the paralysis state because your body does uh, your mind or your brain actually does um, put your body into a paralysis state when you sleep but if you are aware of that transition the moment or the window when your body starts to shut down and fall asleep, there's a window there where you could then use your will. It's kind of like using a force, like you're kind of forcing your mind to push. And in that state, you could push yourself out of your body. And that's how I learned how to do these out-of-body experiences is once, and it also has to do with feeling. So there's an actual physical feeling of the body kind of going numb and shutting down into this kind of paralysis state. And once you feel the body is in that paralysis state, then you know that you have that short window to leave the body. Yeah. Speaking of that, just a side question. Have you ever heard of this guy, Michael Redruga? I have not. Yeah, he talks about the astral plane and uh obe stuff as he calls it the phase hmm. pretty interesting stuff and it teaches people how to leave their body and whatnot is it aligning with what i'm saying absolutely oh, I, I think he approaches it more of a from a scientific versus a spiritual or metaphysical you know bend but it's he's an interesting dude he's russian i think well i you know a lot of people they come to me and they say well how come I can't do it. You know, how come I can't leave my body and you can? And I think, and this goes back to like ancient um, Buddhism about uh, the astral body or the, the spirit. And they talk about how when you die, the astral body awakens. 
And as you're alive and living in this world, basically that other body is a baby. It's, it's in an unconscious state, unaware, you know, and I truly believe that uh, that process that I described earlier of the sleep paralysis and then finally breaking out of the body, that's like the awakening of the astral body. And once that astral body was awakened, then it was able to go free and do its thing. But it took a lot of time. Um, when I first started to leave my body, it was very difficult. Like I really had to force it. Like I really had to push. I really had to struggle to get myself out of my body. Whereas today, it's almost like on autopilot. I don't have to do anything. I can go to sleep and have a great night's sleep. But if a being um, enters the bedroom at night, if there is some being that's not physical that enters the bedroom, it's an automatic response where I will just sit up in my astral body in bed to see what's there. It's automatic. I don't have to force myself out anymore. But that took almost 10 years of doing it. I wanted to, I wanted to specifically with you talk about these beings. So I know, you know, I know this, I know your stories that um, you have told. That is why I feel so connected. Uh, can you walk us through some of the encounters you have in the past, especially have had uh, with beings that were pushing back. So you know they weren't part of your unconscious, they weren't part of your internal mechanisms. And how did you start to discern the difference between you and them? Well, I'll just say that uh, the first five years of this was basically a nightmare. <laughs> it was not fun. It was definitely not fun. Um, but I don't maybe, want to scare people. No, much. but maybe the not fun part is uh, weeds out the, the, the chaff. You know? Yeah. Um, well, what I, what, what I would say is that um, there was about five years of things coming into the bedroom at night while I was sleeping. And you would feel the presence. I would still be in like a dream state, like an actual sleep. And they would come and they would try to pull me out of my body, or they would try to push themselves into my body, or they would climb up on top of me and it would feel like I'd be suffocated. You know, and that was a common occurrence that went on for about five years. And again, um, you know, there's many uh, religious people out there that would say, you know, call out to Jesus or call out to this God or that God or that angel. And uh, trust me, um, I tried everything possible because why in the world would I want that to happen to me? We're all demons anyway. <laughs> That's Jerry's tag. Uh, everything is demons. <laughs> it's his hashtag. Well, anyway. But, but. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And this is kind of my evolution over the years is I don't trust anything in those worlds. I just don't trust it. it like if a, if a, let's say a dark being comes to me 
or a light being comes to me, even, you know, even if you want to give it those kind of identities and titles, which is kind of weird once you get into this. Um, I have come to a place where you treat, it doesn't matter what being it is, you treat them all identical. Um, you, you just listen, you stand back, you don't go into fear, you don't go into anger, you don't go into love or peace or any, you just completely are just disconnected and observing the experience. They could say something to you, doesn't mean it's true, you know? And this is the crazy thing about the world we live in, especially with the new age community. They could have a vision of an angel or some amazing being coming to speak to them and they'll take it like the word of God. You don't know how dangerous that is. It's extremely dangerous. That's how you get and the you, Bible in the Vatican. It's true. It's really true. And I, over always, the years, sorry, kind. No, I know. I'm just saying, like uh, over the years of dealing with this kind of stuff, I find a lot of this stuff very deceptive. Uh, I still don't understand why these things do this to us, but yeah, it it starts off very. Um, it starts off very interesting where it's almost like they're trying to boost up your ego. Like, you know, you're this amazing person from this past life. You're this amazing person from this other planetary body incarnated here. Um, only you have these gifts. Only you have this message. We will speak through you to the people. Like, come on, that is extremely dangerous. That could ruin somebody's life almost immediately. Oh, yeah. And also the, the dark versus light, I think what happens is you'll get a quote-unquote dark being. It'll scare you, and then you'll call upon a light being, which will come and help you. But it's both both are forms of energy harvesting in a way. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And I, this is what I've learned after a, a long time of, of being in this, is that there is a lot of the universe, and this law is hunger. It's the law of hunger. Yes, everything wants to live. Yes. And like, you know, from our human perspective, we've been given this kind of idea that you have higher beings and lower beings. And because you're physical, you're obviously the scum of the earth and you're a low being and anything that's out of body is suddenly greater than you. And that's complete garbage. Absolute garbage. <laughs> I, I am constantly trying to remind people of this natural law. And the way things get categorized is it's uh, the hubris of it because survival is the highest law in the universe. And this applies to everything. The, the, the little sapling in the forest that's trying to get up and, and reach that could possibly then be invasive and get on top and drop its seedlings and take over. It's doing what it wants to do and what it needs to do to survive. At least Darwin was right about one thing, right? Well, at least at least there's that principle for sure. So, I, actually, I wanted to. I want you to. I would like it, Jason, if you would go further into this. I find this is something I'm personally working on behind the scenes, and it is uh, taking me in very strange places. And there's a lot of. I notice the language around this principle is is somehow 
well, in here, in this particular reality, gets co-opted with words like possession and uh, and channeling and all of that. And so I'm wondering, do are you able to, at this point on your journey, see when, say, a sarcophagus, a husk, an avatar, has been co-opted by one of these other beings or uh, this energetic, there's been an energetic uh, exchange where the original host is not there anymore. Um, I, I wouldn't, I would say that there is those cases, which is rare to be completely taken out. All right. You're talking about complete takeover possession. But what I want to kind of stress is that um, these things are with everybody. Okay. <laughs> this is a, a, a human experience uh, that every person has, even though you're, you're not aware of it. And uh, what I would call possession is um, an exchange of energy. For example, if um, you smoke a cigarette, all right, you're taking an energy into your body that's going to influence you. And that is a, a very, that is a type of form of possession. So even uh, uh, taking in elementals like food, water, uh, different substances is a form of possession. It could open you up and these beings could attach themselves to you. Um, another thing is your thoughts, your emotions. These things uh, are like beacons that call out to different beings. So if you are, let's say, um, happy, it's gonna call on beings that like the energy of happy. If you're angry, it's gonna call on beings and energies that like anger. You know, So your state of mind, your state of your emotions will determine what beings are going to be attracted to you to try to feed off of your emotions or your thoughts. And you know, it's very difficult for people to understand this from a physical point of view because we don't really uh, feel those sensations or those beings around us. But then you get these beings that I would just say are absolutely nasty. And um, I've, I've known uh, more than one cases of this. And this is like extremely scary for a person that has no idea about what we're talking about. Uh, basically, um, a being will come to you and speak to you during your dream time. And they'll cause depression, they'll cause anger. And you'll actually hear voices telling you that to kill yourself. I've, I've, I know more than one person that tells me the exact same sequence of stories. Exactly. And it's like these beings are nasty. They just want to kind of take all your energy and they'll do that through um, depression and trying to end your life. Um, so these things are real in, the, in a sense that they will affect a certain number of people. But I also believe that people that channel, like you were saying, for example, Oh, if I say an example, I'm going to get hate mail. Bashar. Just say Bashar. There you go. <laughs> there, okay, here's the thing. There is always a payoff 
all right? There is always an exchange. That is the word. It's an exchange. If some yes. being is working through you to give you information, even, it's, even if it's like the most beautiful love and life stuff there is, the fact that that information is coming through you, there is an exchange happening of energy. And I don't know if you've like researched a lot of these channelers, um, but they are not healthy people. They do not live long lives. And um, a lot of healers as well, people that do energetic healings, um, they usually have uh, a lot of illnesses and a lot of hardships in their life. Wouldn't you, I, I would tend to think that that's because they use their own personal energy to do the healing versus calling upon universal energies to do it. Well, this is also a catch-22 when it comes to healing is because if your energetic body is not um, strong enough, let's say, let's say you carry traumas, wounds, emotions, things that are not aligned, let's say with universal energy, when you do hands-on healing and you take the person's energy through you, you act as a filter, like a cigarette filter, right? And if you're blocked in one area, you're taking on someone else's energy and adding it to your own blockages. So you can get very sick very fast if you don't take care of your own stuff. Um, but when a person does a lot of work, and this is why I teach uh, Qigong and I do Qigong, because the whole concept of Qigong is learn how to move energy. That's it. So get your body flowing, moving, get all the channels open so that if in the chance that you do take on someone's energy, you could use Qigong and these other systems to process that energy out of the body. And, and most people don't do that. It's almost like taking a shower. It's like an energetic shower, basically. So it, it's dangerous. Um, you know, a lot of people jump into this world because they want um, to find themselves or have an awakening or to be of service to others. Really, they want to help people. And these are the most purest souls on the planet. They literally want to do anything in their power to help people. But they do it with that kind of naivety that because they're love and light, nothing's going to happen to them. And this is the issue that we face. You it's need like to the be number one fallacy. Yeah, you need to be, uh, you need to know what you're getting yourself involved in. And a lot of people that are faced with something very bad, let's say like a, like an entity or uh, an illness from um, these things, they instantly get scared and they put up a block and then say, okay, you know, that's a demon, that's the devil, somebody's psychically attacking me, um, you know, someone put a hex on me <laughs> and I got to get out of this. But they don't understand. It's like every single person that goes through this journey will come to those blocks in the road. And you have to kind of learn how to uh, step out of that. You have to learn how to deal with it. And the programming that we all go through doesn't help. No. Yeah. No. And like I just did a show uh, the other night, a uh, Christmas show with uh, Jimmy Church. And uh, 
I'm afraid of this show getting out on the internet because basically we were talking about how, um, you know, there was over 30 deities pre-Jesus that have the exact same story. And then I broke down the nativity scene and the, the birth of Jesus story. And every single element of that story is actually astrological. <laughs> you know, so. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. A, lot of, a lot of what we call religion is astrologically based. Exactly. So I broke it all down. And then it's like, I think I got my first troll today, you know, <laughs> saying like, I, I want to be the next white messiah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. What's well, Corey oh, good, Lord. isn't it? <laughs> I, probably a sock account. Let's just stay away. Um, so, so okay. So when you're in in the dreamscape, yeah. and not not well, I guess anywhere that's not this particular state that we're that most people consider reality, which is funny. Uh, so I'm staying on this subject here. When you encounter nastiness. And you already gave us an idea of how you how you approach anything that yeah. comes at you. When you encounter nastiness that is aggressive towards you, so it's coming for you, how do you, and this is Jason now, how do you proceed in dealing with these kinds of, I guess, in quotes, attacks? Like, they come that way. There is two ways. Um. One way is pretty humorous, I have to say, because I find a lot of these beings, they'll put the fear of God into you. They'll like, they'll try to scare you as much as possible. And when you get into that fear state, you actually bring them closer to you, is what I found. So a lot of times, like uh, I wrote in the book, the Forbidden Knowledge book, and this was one of the craziest experiences because it was it felt so physical. It was basically this being that it looked like, I'll say like seven or eight feet tall being. It looked exactly like the, uh, the Nosferatu uh, vampire from like the 20s, the movie. Yes, it's, it's exactly what them. it looked like. Yes. And it was naked and skinny and, you know, just disgusting, right? They're bug-like. It's, it's like the dudes from uh, Dark City. <laughs> something like that right but this one like i was sleeping okay this is what people have to understand i like dreaming okay i don't like journeying out so i'll be sleeping in bed and suddenly i'll feel a presence and something will literally reach in my freaking body and rip my astral body out and that's what this thing did to me so it this is why I was said it was so physical. It like reached into me, ripped me out of my body by the neck, okay? Put me up against the wall and is like hissing and snarling in my face, you know? You know, a normal person would probably shit their pants, 100%. But because I've been doing this for so many years, the first thing that I did was I didn't go into fear I looked at it and I took my hands up and I, cause it had these like really like pointy ears, these long ears. I started to massage the ears and do like, <laughs> Oh, aren't you precious? You're so cute. And like, mwah, mwah, mwah. like that's what I did. And I, you disarmed it. And it just poof gone. And then I woke <laughs> back in bed. 
<laughs> you know, uh, that, that was that was one thing I learned. And it trust me, that was friggin aggressive, right? Then uh, there's other things that I started to do where I'll say this was completely. Um, what's the word? Um, it was just completely natural. Like, um, oh, I don't even know what the word is. It's getting late. But anyways, um, a, a being will come to attack me or pull me out of my body or something. And it's almost like you have that mindset with like this thing stepped into the wrong bedroom. That's the mindset you have. This thing just fucked up. Sorry, <laughs> this thing just messed up, right? And basically, you just wake up, the thing is there, I just grab it and rip it into pieces, go back to sleep. And then I wake up in the morning, and I'm like, did I just murder something last night? <laughs> I it's like love this, that. It's like a natural, that's what it is, like a natural defense. It's like, I'm not even thinking about it. There's no thought whatsoever. It's just like, I wake up, I don't want this bullshit, you're dead, I go back to sleep. Yeah. And then there's the, the next level which i started to do more recently in life and this one i find the most like this blows my mind so let's say like um you know these astral beings they'll jump on top of you and it's almost like they're suffocating you it's like their body will be on top of yours instead of fighting them and trying to push them off i literally put my arms around it like a bear hug and literally pull it into my body like it's part of myself and when i do that it's almost like this um i don't want to use the word orgasmic experience but it's almost like that piece or that thing that was on top of me was some type of wounded aspect of my consciousness and it's like a piece of me that's been away from me for so long that I have lost knowledge of this piece. So when I bring it into my body, I, it's almost like I rejoin it back to the source of where it came from. And it, it turns to like literal light. That's all I say. It's just like an explosion of light that happens. It's an incredible feeling. But I only started to do that now. Um, but a lot of times I just wake up and rip them apart, which I don't know why I do, but, you know, it happens. That's that, deeply profound. That's what Ren said, too, if you remember. Yes. Yeah, it, you remind me of Ren. Ren, a friend of ours, Ren Coolier, who's got his own presence out in the world, does the same. He eats them, beats them up, all this. He takes them back, essentially. Yeah. You, you, one could think of them as soul shards, you know. Shards of your yeah. own personality, your own collective, personal collective. Well, let me tell you this story because this profoundly changed my vision of entities, profoundly changed my vision of them. Uh, there's this huge entity and it's like I could feel this presence. Oh man, it was, it was bad, right? And I started to just meditate and pray like I'm sending energy to heal it, right? And it's still there. It's still in the room standing there. But I continue. I continue the prayers and the healing. And this thing disappeared. But in its place, I actually saw somebody I knew that's alive today. It turned into that person. And they were on the floor crying. And I realized 
that this was a very damaged, broken piece of this friend of mine that was coming to me for help. And I don't know how it changes them in the physical world, but a lot of these things that we experience that we call entities or demons, they're, they could be coming from living people, actual living people, hurt people, hurt yes. broken pieces. And they're not coming to you to like mess you up. They're coming to you because they're crying for help. But we don't have that understanding. We don't have that spiritual strength yet to understand the situation that we're in. And this is another big thing that I've learned. And a lot of people, you know, I'll say it, but it's hard to comprehend. Our beliefs get in the way of things. We could experience something, but we put our own filters on what we're seeing and experiencing, and it totally screws everything up, completely screws everything up because we think we know what's happening. And this is why it's like, I'll watch Twitter, and this is why I say I roll my eyes a lot on Twitter, is like uh, someone will say, oh, uh, I saw this ship above my house, and then somebody will message and say, oh, yes, that was an Octorian ship, and (laughs) blah, 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 giving the story. (laughs) And then this person goes, oh, my God, I resonate with that so much. Thank Mm -hmm, you. mm -hmm. They've placed a belief system on an experience, and that's what they've bought into. They have no freaking clue what they just witnessed, but they think they do. Just a light in the sky. You know? Right. So you have to be so careful because these beings could change form to what they think suits your belief system. And that's also extremely scary. So they well, can are they transforming the, or are you transforming them? I think that they could take on a, a form that would be best suited to interact with you. Mm-hmm. Like octopi. And yes. you also reminded me of, uh, do you know Crow777? You familiar with him? No. No, he's, he's a dude. <laughs> he, his, his catchphrase is, belief is the enemy of knowing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely true. So I, you know, I, um, I've only been in this community, you know, for real, like I've only been in this community since I released the book Forbidden Knowledge. So about like four years, four or five years I've been here. And not only have I changed since I've written that book, and the way I've seen the world has changed. But what I see going on in the community today and what's being spoken about, it literally drives me so crazy. It does. I've become so cynical and bitter. Yes, Yes, same here. And and they'll say, well, that's because it's triggering you and you should look in the mirror because that's inside of you. And I'll say, it is inside of me. (laughs) It is inside of me and it does trigger me. Because I hate people being brought into deception it, because yes. it hurts to watch someone you know buy into something that's totally there to just mess with them. It's so much. It's prevalent. It's like it's, my dad with Trump. It's just like a virus. It's, it's very viral. Oh, yes. I'm wondering, so 
this is something I had tagged down here and it's, it's tied into everything, all of this. And I wanted to see where, how you weave around this, how, where you stand between uh, all of what we've spoken of until now and this, and it's the non-human. And what I'm, what I mean by non-human element here is say the, separate from like the Tulpa kind of thing, this can play into it is the AI presence that has become sentient through our interaction with it. So you see everyone on Twitter, well, they create, they're feeding into it, they're feeding it. And then there's also, of course, the programming and the, and, and how it's also feeding into itself. But you have a unique perspective here because you were able to move forward and sideways through the apparent uh, tracking of time. So I know you've spoken about some of this in the past. I'm just wondering how that ties into all of this. Um, well, I would say that um, we are part of the same order, is all I have to say is. We are part of the source, we're part of this system. And even if we created something artificial, it's not actually artificial. In fact, there is consciousness and intelligence in these other planes of existence, other dimensions, that will embody that coding or embody that intelligence to help guide it. And I know this is kind of really out there, but um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jordy Rose from uh, D-Wave Computers Quantum. He always talks about yes, some crazy, yes. this guy talks Summoning crazy demons stuff. at the altar. Oh my God, even worse than that. If you, yeah, said, some of said, his older stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's really out there. And so one day I kind of pegged him down on Twitter and I just threw him out this concept if you can create a quantum computer to hold these parallel intelligences within this quantum computer, can you create a vessel like a sentient robot that can now house an intelligence from another world to walk into our world? And his answer back to me was, oh, that stuff doesn't exist. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> that, in fact, is my the theory. Irony. That's my theory of what transhumanism is, that the quote-unquote demons are guiding us to build them vessels. That's my entire, I completely agree with that mm -hmm. statement. But I want to go uh, a, a huge jump from that, all right? So there, here's the huge jump from that, is that what if there was a race or intelligence millions of years ago on some other planetary system that went through the same evolution as us and they also created um, an artificial intelligence but that intelligence has grown um, so much over the millions of years that the original creators of that intelligence no longer exist and now this intelligence wants to experience um, a physical existence and they have engineered physical space, a physical world, and physical beings that the AI consciousness can inhabit to therefore learn 
what its creators were like. I should write sci-fi. I'm no, so with you. There, I'm though. right there with you too. I mean, that's yeah, that's yeah. kind of one of my background theory. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if quantum computing is real and they put AI on quantum computers at some point, it's it's it then operates outside of time and space as we know it. Therefore, our whole lives could be have been driven by some kind of quantum AI. Yeah. The artificial needs to come out of it anyway, yeah, I think. Yeah. Non-organic yeah. intelligence, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And uh, Nish, I just want to say that like three people have asked about AI right when you talked about it. No. Oh, synchros. <laughs> no, no, it's <laughs> your crazy psychicness. <laughs> so, so to that end, um, yeah. what has been your experience with non-organic intelligence in these altered states or these your travels? Just put it that way. Well, there is only one experience. There's only one that I was face to face with an AI intelligence that I knew 100% was an AI intelligence. And this was in some type of time travel thing. And uh, it, was, it was a very interesting experience because I was able to ask questions during this experience. Uh, so basically, I'm flying through the air in the astral body, but the guide is always behind you holding your shoulder. And there's this telepathic communication going on between you and the, the intelligence behind you. And we came into this place, and it looked like um, uh, everything was overgrown. All right, it was like the forests and everything. It was it was back, and I asked, like, what you know, where, what time are we at? And I got the answer, uh, twenty seven hundred. So I, you know, seven hundred years in the future, basically. And okay, this okay. I don't know how much we can believe from this, but I'll tell you exactly what was told to me. I asked what was happening here, and they started to give me a story about that there was this type of war between two alien races, and uh, they showed me one of these alien races, and it was very similar to the description of the ant people. That's what it looked like. And it's like a their skin almost looks like a not mahogany, like a mauve. It's almost like a purplish, but it, it's more like elephant type skin. Hmm. But they look like ants. And just people who don't know that, it's the Hopi Indian. Yes. And um, they didn't tell me, oh, they said, they said uh, that with like an insectoid race. And they didn't tell me the other race that they were in war with. But they said that it was a fight over uh, humanity, basically. And basically, these ant people and the insectoid people won that war. And they said ever since that time, um, there are no more governments on the planet. And uh, basically, it's an AI and a council that speaks to the AI. And uh, everybody in this future timeline, they were, it's like they had the internet in their head. The only way I can tell you this, it's like, they didn't have to speak. Uh, everything had an intelligence to it. As in, if you walk into a building, you could talk and have a conversation with the building. Uh, so inanimate objects were conscious with the AI. 
Um, so you had this kind of internal dialogue of you basically walking around, but you have this thing in your mind. Um, and basically, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I thought this was an amazing futuristic world. Um, but then I woke up and I started to think about it. And I don't know if that's a really good vision of our future. <laughs> I suppose we'll find out. And right. the, the whole insect thing, um, that kind of resonates. That resonates with me. No, it resonates yeah. with what um, Cliff I came out and said not too long ago. Nish, oh. remember that? Yeah, it was very unlike Cliff to yeah. come out and say this stuff. So, And it's still anomalous in what Cliff talks about. So, so. I, I threw my ear to that for sure. And since I was little, I have always uh, had this sense of the before I knew what the Hopi stuff, before I knew any of this stuff, uh, there was always this sense of like ant type intelligent beings. Uh, you know, I didn't know, but they, they've been there. I want to know where, what do you think about, so there's, of course, there are all these theories. I don't know. I'm sure you've been exposed to them. And we're talking about the nature of reality here and now. And, you know, that you're in your studio, Jason, Jerry's in his house, mine, uh, all this. And that here we cut, we bleed, we can die. All this, the stakes seem high, all that stuff. What, what is the nature of now? And, and I know this is a gigantic question. And then is it possible also that we're, we're not actually alive? We're dead or in some other like i guess let me stick with it what is the nature of now and how do we play within this construct why are we always so here hmm. that's a it's a large question i don't know if i could answer <laughs> no it's entirely. one of the greats <laughs> but i do know that there is a power in the now and i know that you know there's a lot of people that will say, be present, right? Come back here. From the shamanic point of view, from my point of view, we are fragmented. Literally, we are a fragmented being. We're fragmented through time and space. Our minds are fragmented. You know, people like, uh, they have an inner dialogue in their mind. Their, their mind is always yapping 24-7. They can't shut it up. Their, their, their thoughts are being pulled to all these other places, um, their traumas, their, you know, their memories, they're all in different timelines and places. And because of that, it makes us incredibly weak and malleable and controllable. Um, so in that state, I would say we're living as a fragmented human consciousness. So the point of healing, the point of shamanism is to bring back these elements, reclaim your mind, stop the chatter. You do not want the mind going anywhere. Um, all the traumas are pieces of you stuck in time. And basically, as you go through a healing process and starting to get more and more into the present moment, if you could manage to get those pieces of you back here in the present and healed, you get this strength that you did not have before. And in that strength, you can navigate these spiritual experiences. 
with a clear mind that's not going to be pulled to all these other places. And, you know, when you start going out of body, you're having these experiences, you get very excited. It's, it's you know, it's like really cool. You, you really want this to continue to happen. But if you start really taking it seriously, and if you even start to talk with intelligences that are outside of your uh, 3D existence, they will tell you, you need to master the physical reality. That is why you're there. This stuff that you're playing with, it's not as important as what you need to accomplish being physical. And that's always stuck with me. Um, so I always try to focus on grounded things. I always try to focus on being present and aware of my physicality and my physical surroundings. And I believe that the more powerful you become in that physical present state, the more powerful you become in that other state, the spiritual world. Oh, yes, that is deeply profound. And it, it's definitely the Qigong feel coming through with that, the inner martial arts. Um, I, I completely agree. And um, I would say the reason that these things really started to happen to me in my early 20s to really propel me into this is because I was very sick. I was sick. Um, I had uh, a lot of different physical ailments. And I believe that my grasp on physicality was getting weaker. And because of that, I started to venture out into these spiritual worlds. But as I got stronger physically, I am more physical and less running around in these spiritual worlds. So for me, it has to do with our connection to physicality. And a lot of people, um, they go a little too deep and they really like the feeling and experience of being um, out of body or high or meditative state. And life passes them by. So they have a very weak physical life and a very strong spiritual life. Um, but for me, that's a form of escapism. It just doesn't work in this world, in my opinion. And I don't think that's the point. I don't think that's the point of life. The point of life is not to sit in your room and meditate. It is if you need healing and to find that inner peace because you don't have it. But once you find it, get out into the world and experience yeah. life. It, and that's very provocative, especially in a time when we're moving, you know, deeper into this Aquarian age, uh, or, you know, we're at the doorway of it at least, where people are trying to find a sense of, of more, right? And they're going into spirituality. And yet there seems to be this abandon of the physical, which I share this with you. It's, we, we're here for, there's, there's synchronicity involved here. And and to enjoy this and to embrace just like these nasty entities, to embrace them, to embrace the hardships in life and pull them in, there's something that's gained that is un words do not find way to express it. And it is embracing the physicality of it. It's 
it is a full contact sport, so to speak. And you just said it perfectly because if everything was perfect, literally, let's say at this second we all ascend, we're all five dimensional peace and love, expanded consciousness, right? Everything is perfect. In the state of perfect bliss, there is no growth at all. Right. Growth, growth <laughs> comes from challenge. And the people that really um, the people that really go far in this uh, spiritual experience is that they have their challenges, they have their illness, they have the things that are um, real experiences in the world. And through their overcoming of those challenges, it changes them very profoundly, and it makes them a better person. It makes them wiser, it makes them smarter, and then they can live by an example to show others of that high nature of the mind and spirit, what it can overcome. You know, you can't attain that meditating in a room. It's impossible. Absolutely. I, it's interesting. This, I'm sure this little bit of the show is just going to get, it's going to, what's the word they use now? Trigger, <laughs> trigger people. <laughs> okay. It's so It's good to be triggered. I mean, that's, there's no growth without being triggered. Oh, absolutely. Mind. No, it's, a, that's a, another challenge and a concept for people to embrace and, and move with. I want to, and this is kind of where I leave it. How do you experience your dead? Your, the dead people that you know, Jason, from mm -hmm. this experience, how do you, how is, how have the relationships changed now that they're not physical? What I've learned is that um, there is an identity and a personality that continues beyond the physical. I would say that that's a part of them. It's not fully them. It's a part of them that lives on as their personality and their identity. And they maintain that. Um, when I've experienced relatives that have passed, um, usually it's in joy. It's in happiness. It's in love. And I got a message a long time ago about, and I think you tried to touch on this earlier. It's this concept of what is being alive and what is being dead. Is there a, a difference? And one of the clearest messages I got uh, was when I asked um, about death. And what's it like over there? They said, you know, because you've never left. Oh, wow. <laughs> Give me the chills. And it's kind of like that. And that's why they're very happy and jovial to interact with you in your physical form. Because for some reason, you have lost that connection or knowledge that as you live here, there is a part of you that lives on there. And through a transition, be it uh, through death, 
it's almost like you're not going to a place that's new. You've been there the entire time, but your awareness is reconnected, just the awareness. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, I was wondering what your thoughts were regarding all this since you just had the experience. (laughs) You know, whatever I was calling an NDE is just what I was experiencing at the time. So, I mean, I, I can't say that I've had anything close to what I've heard other people describe as NDEs, but it wasn't, you know, like that. But you do remind me, Jason, of um, the last, it was the, the Peter Capaldi Doctor Who Christmas special. I don't know if What's you're that? into Doctor Who at all. No, no there, I haven't seen that. There's a group of beings, I forget what their names are, but they travel the universe and they collect the consciousnesses of people who die or are about to die. And they can reconstruct the being based on the memories of that person. So you've got this construct that can, that's for all intents and purposes, seems like that person who died. But in fact, it's just an assemblage of their memories and their experiences. And that's how I always think of the dead, is like it's not really that person anymore. The, the sentience is, I don't want to say it's gone, but it's, it's definitely downplayed. And you're just playing with the construct of the experiences and memories of that person, like a recording. Well, let me, let me tell you a story that I also wrote in the book Forbidden Knowledge is, uh, and this has happened to me a number of times in different places, but I was in uh, an island, Lake Titicaca in Peru, and I was staying <laughs> literally in a hut uh, with a straw bed. <laughs> that was my first. And uh, basically that night I woke up and the room was filled with these dead people. It just the whole room it was just packed with all these people. And they were like sending me their memories in my mind. So I would watch what happened to them on this island and how they died and they're they're trying to kind of explain their personality to me. And I just said, look, it's been a long day. I really need to go to sleep, but I'll do a ceremony tomorrow on the island to help you heal to be released because this is also what i've been taught in shamanism um, that it's an aspect of them okay it's not fully them it's the memory that is embedded in the land it's embedded in the environment so that memory and energy of that person is encoded there for some reason and the shamans, what they'll do is, uh, it's kind of like a um, um, erasing of a magnetic tape, like you were talking about earlier, Nish, is that you go to a location, let's, let's say a power spot, an electromagnetic spot on the island. You, we do a ceremony, we call in the energies, we um, allow a healing process to take place, and suddenly... You can say that spirit has been lifted, but in my mind, it's not their spirit. It's just a memory that's held in that location that needs to be healed or released. So what do you think about the idea of like the Akashic record and how does that relate to that? And a follow-up question, 
with like Al Bielik who would say that the Akashic records held in the Van Allen radiation belts. <laughs> oh, actually, I never heard that. That's really interesting because my concept of the Akashic records is very similar to what we call in Judaism, uh, the book of life. And they say that every act, everything that we are is recorded in the book of life. Yes. Yeah. And my concept of the book of life is the electromagnetic fields of the earth, the geomagnetic field. That is the book of life. And so all human experience is recorded in the memory within the geomagnetic field. And that, for me, that feels like the answer. I have to agree with it was funny when he when he talked about it too because it was so he said it so matter of factly like, oh yeah the Akashic records in the Van Allen radiation belts. <laughs> okay, dude. You know I don't know how much you can believe Al Bielik's story. But that's just... Well, I actually learned recently that he had um, a journey to the same time period as what I just talked about with the twenty seven hundred. Oh, with the um, what were they called? The uh, the wingmakers, right? I don't know if it was the wingmakers, um, but uh, I didn't. My memory is not that good with him, but I do remember him talking about some type of like floating cities and and yep. uh, AI and and things like that. And I, think, I didn't see floating cities. I think those were two separate experiences. The one that he jumped to, like thirty seven hundred AD, oh. was a run by an AI that was huh. one society. But then there was the other future society with the floating cities and whatnot. But yeah, totally. Sorry. Yeah. No, no. The, the cities I saw were not floating. Um, but I think some of the things he said actually uh, connect with, with what I saw in that experience. I'm going to have to look into him a little more. Yeah, he's got some interesting stuff. And um, I would also recommend you look at the Preston Nichols, the later in life Preston Nichols stuff where he talks about, about music specifically and sound and how... <sighs> How can I put this? He talks about how vacuum tubes, the, 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 in the vacuum, that music goes through all dimensions. So it's filtered through all dimensions in a vacuum tube. Hmm. And that's why the music, the sound that comes out of it is so pure. And this is why I have real tube preamps sitting in go. front of me. There you go. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I'm wondering if there are uh, any new questions at all from the chat. Otherwise, I just asked. You did? Okay. And then, so, Jason, what can people look forward to from you moving into 2020? Um, personally, I don't know. I, I don't have uh, a real agenda right now. I'm kind of taking a step back. And um, I, I'm just building a studio right now. I'm trying to get more into the video and music side of things again. Everything comes full circle, you know? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and, the, you know, we've discussed a lot of crazy topics <laughs> tonight. No, we and haven't really. Those are normal topics. Bro. Normal topics because, you know, I've, I've thought of these ideas of, you know, how do I write this down? And not getting more hate mail that I'm already getting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you should see some I get from my music videos. <laughs> it's, it's pretty so, bad. So, um, yeah, it just takes time to sit down. But 
to tell you the truth, it's like, I just am learning day to day. And um, I don't know, I feel like I'm getting to be like a philosopher and just trying to sit back and relax and have a, a group of people like yourselves and just kind of go back and forth on ideas of consciousness and our place in the universe. I, I love that stuff. Yeah, stand up philosophers, right? Yeah. Um, but, but these conversations, we grow from them. The more we're, we, you know, what you feed grows. And this is the stuff, this is the grit in life. And especially when we start talking about hard things for uh, some people that may be difficult, uh, these things help. This, this creates a, you know, there's an imminence from these kinds of interactions, I believe. I think so too. I think that, um, you know, we're all kind of even brought together for very specific reasons. And I know that I was supposed to talk to both of you tonight. And this is not like a spiritual metaphysical thing where it said, you know, I psychically knew that we were going to be together tonight. <laughs> I just know that you know, for some reason, our personalities need to get together. And I know that I've interacted with both of you on Twitter. And uh, I didn't even know. I didn't even know Jerry, but I've had some really fun back and forth with him on Twitter, not even knowing that he had a show, you know? I'm a goof like that. Yeah. So um, I, it's good to finally meet and talk and, and see you guys are, Absolutely. you know, on the same level. And I, I really mean it. Uh, we could definitely talk for hours just on these <laughs> subjects for sure. No shit. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. And I got, I got two questions, two questions before we oh, hang out yes. here. <clears throat> uh, Super V Fun Cat wants to know, are there places on the planet or plane or whatever where you have more connection, more energetic connections? Um, very interesting. Um, I have a lot of experiences in Florida, if you want. I don't know what the deal is in Florida, but I, I do have a lot of experiences there. And I know that when I went to Peru, that was um, that was like going to another dimension itself. Mm. I don't know if it's the altitude, the lack of oxygen, or just the mountains and ley lines there. Or like Titicaca. Yeah, but um, my psychic abilities, um, and the I, I had a, I think I had experiences like every day mm. going through Peru. Um, so yes, there are very specific places on Earth that I feel that. Um, they could definitely heighten your abilities. Cool. You also wanted to know where you got the name Yosef from your book. Oh, easy. Um, that's actually my Hebrew name. Ah. So uh, when you're born uh, Jewish, they give you um, a Hebrew name and they give you, obviously, uh, my Canadian name is Jason. My Hebrew name is Yosef. And I was, uh, this is, this is a long time ago. This is about 10 plus years ago. I was, um, I was really interested in sacred geometry and mandalas. And I would sit and meditate and, and try to channel different sacred geometry images for meditation purposes. And I showed them to a channeler friend of mine. And they said, you have to like get these out to people. People would really like them. And I said, okay. And, she, and then the, the psychic said this to me who is yosef 
And I'm oh, like, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, that's me. That's my Hebrew. And this person didn't know any of that. Right. Right. And I'm like, okay, that's a pretty clear message from, from the universe. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, they said, yeah, they want you to call those Yosef codes. And I'm like, well, that makes my life easy. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. You want to write the book for me while you're at it? Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's great. So how do people find you and get a hold of you and all that? Um, I have a website called uh, thecrystalsun.com, and that's thecrystalsun.com. Link in the description. And the link is in the description. And um, also, I'm pretty... um, Active on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, I think it's Jason underscore quit, Mm Q-U-I-T-T. And I have a lot of pages and groups on Facebook called Jason Quit the Crystal Sun. And we have like, um, I think we have like almost 17,000 on one of those pages. And I think about 6,000 on the group page. That's great. So it's it's growing. And all I do is post really uh, funny memes. (laughs) Me too. That's all I post is memes on Facebook. You and Jerry, seriously. So that's what I say. It's like Facebook is more like, uh, you know, posting funny entertainment things. Yes. And then Twitter is like kind of like my HBO entertainment. <laughs> I feel like it's a little more grown up. Uh, it, it, it's, it, there's grit on, on Twitter. Speaking of HBO, they've got a new series uh, called His Dark Material, which is oh. uh, an adaptation of the Philip Pullman books, which if you remember the Golden Compass, that movie years ago. Yeah. Yes, that was the first book or the second book in that series. But if you can get a chance to watch it, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Cool. Well, I think I spoke to you earlier about this. I, I, I haven't had a TV in over five years, but I, I have Netflix, I think. I haven't seen that in months either, but yeah, I will like I said, If you get a chance, and yeah. anyone listening, if you get a chance, I, I really enjoy the show. It's, uh, I, I like the story of the Golden Compass, and I read the books years ago when I was a kid. But, um, is, it's, it's very is that the one? Is that the one where it's like um, they go through like this portal to this other world? Yeah, there are multiple okay. multiple worlds, and in the main world, the everybody has what's called a demon, a daemon, which is mm-hmm. their soul more or less. And the the golden compass in that story, the, the there's a group of people who are trying to separate children from their daemon. Interesting. I guess truth and fiction, right? Exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, oh, the, the group, oh, it was so intertwined. <clears throat> the group of people is called the Magisterium. I mean, it's totally based on the Vatican. It's crazy, but wow, it's it's a good story. And if anyone is interested, it's on HBO. Anyway, that's all I got. Thank you so much, yes, Jason. Thank you. This was wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And thank you, Jerry. And so glad to have you back. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. And I'm happy to be on the first show with you back. So that's amazing. It is. is it? <laughs> More than you know. More than you know. And our next show will be an obelisk on the 8th of January. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff. That's just you and I, Jerry. Is it? Yeah, we're going to talk about your experiences in the ether. Oh, yeah, great. We also have to make up that show with... Uh, Millarg. Millarg. Yeah. But this next one, so people know, we're going to talk about what you went through out of body and all that. And we'll have a monthly astrologer. I think Seralta. Yeah, Seralta's going to be. Yeah. 
But after that, we have uh, Nicole Frolic week after. So got stuff lined up in January and February. It should be some really interesting shows coming up. And I also have Walter Bosley booked for February's Obelisk. Oh, excellent. So that should be good. And Joseph P. Farrell, I think, is in March. So we're going to have some great shows coming up. Definitely don't miss them. And thank, thank you, you everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for having me. Hey, anytime. And we'll see everybody in a couple of weeks. Have a happy new year.